I got a phone call a few days ago from a pastor in a large North American inner city. The kind of ministry that is right on the front lines of dealing with some of the hardest stuff in our culture. And he was listening to the Imagination series online and uh, taking the material and, and re forming it to communicate to his own people in a context that uh, he he reformed for them. And in the process of that, one of the families in the church had a young child who was coming under some kind of attack on his mind, and this pastor was dealing with that child successfully, and they were making real progress in restoring the, the child and, and protecting the family from this attack. When he began to experience, out of the blue, seemingly, an attack on his own mind. And uh, the attack came in the form of imaginations coming at his mind about something happening to one of his children. Well, you know, it's obvious to people who might be sitting on the sidelines and watching who would say, well, that's kind of obvious, isn't it? I mean, sure, you're being attacked in the same area. But when you're the one being attacked and you're the one doing the ministering, it's amazing how much you can carry on for days, sometimes even weeks, before it occurs to you, this is spiritual warfare. This is not just some quirk in my mind. I mean, I've done this I don't know how many times. I don't know how many times I've gone through periods where I knew I was I was not behaving or thinking straight. My emotions and my feelings and my mind were were not in sync with the truth and with freedom and with joy and with love. And and yet I, I have this repeated experience of going, duh, and saying, why didn't I pick up on this? That's why we need each other. But the point is, uh, we this pastor and I prayed together over the phone, and he assured me that if he didn't get the relief that he was needing, he would call me back. And thankfully, I haven't heard back from him. So I'm praying that that means he's uh, he's walking in freedom. But this kind of pastoral care that he's giving his people attracts the retaliation of the enemy. And I'm so grateful for, for men and women of God who, when they get retaliated against, just rejoice in it because they know it means they're doing the stuff and they're making progress in uh, in helping people. You know, we suffer in the gaps. We, we suffer in the areas that we're not healthy in. And uh, it always puts me in mind of Nehemiah and our teaching on Nehemiah restoring the broken walls of the human soul, where Nehemiah, who is a picture of the Holy Spirit, tells the people as they're standing on the wall, rebuilding the wall, and they're about to be attacked by Sanballat. Nehemiah says, uh, you stand in the strong places and I will stand in the weak places. The Holy Spirit helps our weaknesses, Romans 8 says. But in those weaknesses where the Holy Spirit comes to help us, what does he come to help us do? He doesn't just come to placate our weakness. He comes to strengthen it, to shore it up so that it doesn't remain a weak place. And so we suffer in the gaps. I have certain gaps in my imaginative world that I have to keep before the Lord and that I have to give special extra attention to to protect it from assault and to uh, keep it healthy. And when I don't, when I get, as you know, the old 12-step program acronym, HALT, too, too hungry, too angry, too lonely, too tired, if I halt and pay attention that I've let myself get in one of those areas, then I can begin to uh, protect myself adequately. But uh, most of us have areas where, maybe one or two areas, maybe more than one, but but where, where we just repeatedly get side blind, blindsided. And uh, we don't need to be blindsided anymore. The Holy Spirit will show us and and give us discernment to know how to protect ourselves in those areas. But uh, this is one of the reasons why keeping a prayer journal is such an important part 
of taking what we've been talking about for these past several sessions on the imagination and turning it into something far more active and helpful and meaningful than just another stack of information sitting on your shelf. The prayer journal is where you begin to interact with real things on the real subjects that uh, you're engaging in. You know, C.S. Lewis said, the, uh, the intellect is the organ of the truth. The imagination is the organ of meaning. You can't have meaning without truth, and you can't have truth without meaning. You need both. And so just learning the truths that we've been talking about here in these hours that we've spent so far, is it's important. It's important to learn the truth, but then you have to engage the meaning of the truth. And you do that with the holy imagination, with uh, prayer and imaginative uh, journeys led by the Holy Spirit in prayer. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 10, we've talked about repeatedly, verses 3, 4, and 5. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, but the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down wicked imaginations and bringing into obedience to Christ every thought, bringing every thought under the obedience of Christ. This active, willful focus is now what you have to begin to engage. If you need to go back through all the hours that we've already done, and and this time maybe instead of listening to it going down the road, which is how I always listen to messages, uh, but sometimes I have to get to a place where I can sit with a, a recorder and a notebook and a you know and take notes and write write it down. For those of you who hate that because it reminds you too much of school, rather than letting school steal journaling from you, you need to use journaling to recover your schooling. And. Uh, Take captive that thought for one thing. <laughs> Bring your your um, your imaginative and your willful and your intellectual focuses to bear on obeying Second Corinthians chapter ten verse three, four, and five, and then Ephesians three, where Paul says, "I'm praying for you." Well, I'm praying for you too, just like Paul, that God will flood your imagination with holy light that you will be filled with all the fullness of God, that you will know intellectually and experientially the love of Christ that surpasses mere intellect so that you can be filled with all the fullness of God. And if you begin to do this, then your holy imagination begins to kick in in prayer. I want to quote to you from a wonderful book, a book that I highly recommend called The Circle Maker by Pastor Mark Batterson. Mark's a pastor up in the Washington, D.C. area. And he says in this book on visualization, quote, vision, having a biblical vision, uh, having a God-ordained vision. He's not talking about having a vision like seeing a picture uh, necessarily. He's talking about having a sense of purpose and destiny that fills your imagination with pictures. And he says vision starts with visualization. In 1995, uh, Alvarez Pascual Leon did a study validating the importance of visualization. A group of volunteers practiced a five-finger piano exercise with neurotransmitters monitoring their brain activity. As expected, neuroimaging revealed that the motor cortex was active while practicing the exercise. Then researchers told the participants to mentally rehearse the piano exercises just in their mind. The motor cortex was just as active while mentally rehearsing as it had been during actual practice. Researchers came to the conclusion, of course, that imagined movements trigger synaptic changes at the cortical level of the brain. This study confirms statistically what athletes already know instinctually. Mental rehearsal is just as important, or more important, as physical practice. It's mind over matter, and this is a testament to the power of right brain imagination and the importance of well-defined dreams. 
When you dream, your mind forms a mental image that becomes both a picture and a map to your destiny. That picture of the future is one dimension of faith. And the way you frame it is by circling it in prayer. Uh, By the way, I hate to sink into a negative posture on this subject, but does this not also underscore for you why Jesus said if a man looks at another person to lust after them, he's committing adultery in his heart with that other person already? Because the brain doesn't know the difference between imaginative action and actually physically performing it. And so people who think they can have an unclean imagination and it has no negative effect on their conscious life are deceiving themselves. He goes on to say here, too, in 1992, a Canadian swimmer named Mark Tewksbury won the gold medal in the 200-meter backstroke at the Barcelona Olympics. When he stepped onto the gold medal stand, it wasn't the first time he had done so. He stood on the gold medal stand the night before the race and imagined it before it happened. He visualized every detail of the race in his mind's eye, including his come-from-behind victory by a fingertip. The Australian sailing team did the same thing in preparation for the 1983 America's Cup. The coach made a tape of the Australian team beating the American team three years before the race. He narrated the race with the background sound of a sailboat cutting through the water. Every member of the team was required to listen to the tape twice a day for three years. So by the time they set sail from San Diego Bay, they had already beaten the American team 2,190 times. This simple act of imagining doesn't just remap your mind, it forms a map. And that is the purpose of goal setting. If dreams are the destination, goals are the GPS that gets you there. Here again, this to me is the vital importance of keeping a prayer journal. Uh, the prayer journal is is the GPS for me. And uh, if that helps you to hear that, then maybe it might be even more helpful to just read to you just an example. I don't want you to try to follow my lead in this. You write your own prayer journal, but this might help some of you who have a difficult time getting a concept of this in your thinking. So what what do I write? Well, you have to be childlike. You have to take what you sense the Holy Spirit speaking to you and what he's showing you and treat it with enough respect that you uh, you take take it down and write write it down so that you you really treat it like it's of value. Uh, for instance, this is just one portion out of a recent uh, journal entry of mine. The Lord says, I'm very pleased when you resist the temptation towards self-pity and sorrow and instead offer me thanks and praise for my faithfulness for I am moving to transform the situation that you're up against. See that when you're tempted to envision separation, loss, or pain. When sorrow comes, resist the temptation to give in to it like you have resisted other temptations. Now, did you get that? When sorrow comes, there is a valid place for sorrow. But in this particular case, I was being hit with sorrow as a temptation. When the enemy or your own unrenewed mind tries to put pictures in your imagination that speak of loss, sin, defeat, and sorrow purposefully turn those moments into intercession, praise, thanksgiving, and worship. This current scenario that you're facing is not just about you. It's about all that you love who are involved. You live in this truth, refusing to bow to moment-by-moment circumstances, for my commitment to you, son, doesn't change with the circumstances. Stand in me and don't fall over in the gaps. That's just from my own prayer journal. I hope maybe that will be helpful to you. Now, let me explain uh, where we are in our study on the imagination. We have come to the conclusion of focusing on the imagination itself and uh, 
in the remaining time that we've got here, I want to take you into a live ministry situation where I'm speaking to a a church service in Birmingham, Alabama, recorded a few weeks ago, on the subject. And the reason I want to do that is not because there's going to be necessarily information in it that you don't understand, but you're going to hear it from a different point of view with a different anointing and a different audience. And sometimes that can awaken understanding and different levels of receptivity in us that maybe we we didn't get in the previous uh, lectures. The other thing that I want to bring to your attention is that there are so many other issues we have not addressed yet that really need to be addressed. And they will be addressed in separate lecture series Uh, For instance, we have not covered the issue of pornography adequately. I've been, I've been working on this material for years and we do speak about it interwoven in other topics, but I've never just focused on uh, the porn issue directly and how it affects the brain, why it is addictive and how that addiction can be reversed and healed. uh, And how I believe God is raising up an army of delivered men and, and women sadly, and women had to be delivered. But uh, God's raising up an army of men and women who will know how to heal the world because they what the enemy has done to them, God's turned it uh, around for their good. Uh, we'll address that. We still need to talk about uh, the coming technological issues that for good and for bad are going to be uh, related to the imagination and, and brain formation. We've got to talk about music. We've got to talk about literature. We've got to talk about certain concepts in Christian literature uh, and, and uh, motion pictures that uh, are mixed and can cause damage in the holy imagination because they have a mixed message. Uh, especially related to the whole error and seduction of Gnosticism. We'll have to deal with that separately, obviously. So these are large subjects. They're going to take a lot of intensity. I'm working on them. They won't be given in nightlight. They will only be made available uh, in CD form and MP3 form through our uh, recording library. But they are vitally important, and if this subject has been of special interest to you and you want to pursue it on much more detail, then please keep in mind these topics. They will be made available to you online, and we'll tell you about them in the newsletter uh, as they uh, are released. And we hope to have all of them finished by the end of the summer, but you know how that goes with me. I have... I sometimes over over plan, but these are so important that I feel like I have a mandate from the Lord to get them done. Well, with that, we're going to go into this live uh, service where we were able to communicate to uh, a Sunday morning audience on the subject of the holy imagination, cleansing the imagination, healing the imagination. And I hope this has been helpful to you. And I hope you'll be able to help others with what you've learned. God bless you all, and we'll we'll talk soon. Now we'll go into this live service. I'm very concerned about how many Christians suffer in silence over things that go through their mind that they are so upset over that they never tell anybody. Let's pray. Father, please guide our time. Please make it strategic in affecting deliverance and healing for all of us in this room. For the the glory of your name and the strengthening of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a wonderful promise in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. It says, He shall be kept in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Because he trusts in thee. The word mind is translated in various other translations, imagination. And that's a better translation of the actual Hebrew idea. You know, Westerners, we Westerners tend to 
we divide things up into sections, and sometimes that's good, sometimes it's not good. And when it comes to the, the function of the brain, the way we divide things up is really not so good. Uh, we separate the function of the logical mind from what we tend to call, oh, that was just your imagination, as if whatever is of the imagination is not really real. The only thing that's real is what comes through the brain in the area of reasoning, logic, mathematics, what you might call the left brain function. The, the, the right brain function of image, symbol, dreams, vision, emotions, we tend to treat with much less respect in some circles. The Bible doesn't do that. The Bible calls both functions of the brain the heart. When the Bible talks about the heart, it's not just talking about your blood pump, and it's not just talking about your emotions, it's talking about everything in you that motivates you. That's why Proverbs chapter 4 says, watch over your heart with all diligence, because out of it come the forces that decide your destiny. That's pretty serious. So if the forces that determine my destiny are coming out of my heart, I need to understand what the heart is. And one of the most important parts of the heart is the imagination. Now, sometimes we misinterpret several verses in the Bible referring to the imagination. And the reason we misinterpret them is because of what I just said, our tendency to dissect things. For instance, most Christians know that in the book of Genesis, it says of the people of Noah's day, the imagination of their heart was only evil continually. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3, 4, and 5 says, uh, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. But the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And then the King James Version says, casting down imaginations. And so we just make a very erroneous assumption, some of us do, that imagination is always bad. Evil imaginations, it says in Genesis. Casting down imaginations, it says in 2 Corinthians. And so there's a whole part of the body of Christ thankfully a diminishing part, that has relegated the function of the imagination to being something evil, or at least just something carnal. And so real Christianity is relegated to the logic and the reasoning and the, uh, the, the static, the black and white left brain function. And so by that dissecting, we cut off an entire part of our being in fact, we cut off the most important part because brain specialists tell us <coughs> that when the left brain is damaged, the right brain will usually take up the function of the left brain, but that's not necessarily true the other way around. So when I talk about left brain and right brain, I, I, I'm talking mechanics. But when I talk about the imagination, I'm talking about your spirit, your heart, your emotions, your feelings, your desires, the things that matter the most to you in the whole world. And the devil knows a lot more about this than Christians do because he knows the way to torment and hurt and diminish and discourage you is to go after your imagination. So if you think the imagination is all bad, and you are ashamed to ever talk to anybody about what goes on in your imagination. And the function of the imagination can diminish you and hurt you and discourage you and even make you physically sick. And you don't have any biblical understanding of how to protect your imagination, how to cleanse your imagination, and then how to strengthen your imagination for righteous purposes. You're a sitting duck. And most Christians I know are sitting ducks. They just get blown away by whatever the enemy wants to throw through their imagination. And in a culture that is so rife with images, I mean, there's, there's no place you can go now without 
all kinds of images being thrust at you. And sadly, unlike today, most of the images are not encouraging. Most of them are very discouraging and even evil, demonic, idolatrous, sexually perverse. When you're hit with that from every angle and every direction, God knows we need help concerning the imagination. How many of you have ever had a dream that really troubled you? Has that ever happened to you? Of course it has. It's happened to almost everybody. Uh, I, I, I let my kids talk me into getting on a ride at uh, this place. And I won't say where, but the whole thing, they said, oh, it'd be okay. The whole thing is really just done with projection images. You're not actually moving. Everything else around you is moving. I said, well, that sounds safe. <laughs> I came out of there with such vertigo. And, 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 and I mean, I, I, almost, I almost lost my dinner because the images were moving. I wasn't moving, but my brain didn't know the difference. See, your brain doesn't know the difference. People who get into pornography... The body doesn't know the difference between images and actual behavior. So a person who gives himself or herself over to unclean sexual images is training the body in immorality and God judges it the same because it is the same. So I'm not hurting anybody if I'm just in a fantasy life. Oh no, the fantasy life is just as destructive the only difference is you may not be infecting another human being. That's one advantage, I suppose. But you are defiling every human being that is in the images you're looking at by looking at them in the way you're doing. You are defiling them even though they're not physically present. So wherever they are, you're sending defilement to them because we are spirit beings and we are much more supernatural than we realize. Now... A few years ago, Mary and I were in a conference, and there was an elderly woman in my wife's arms, weeping. And I didn't know what was going on, but later on when I got over to, to Mary, I said, what, what was that about? This woman was very elderly. She said, oh, she said, I've never, I've never had to deal with one of these before, she said. This woman's in her early 80s. She heard us teaching on what I'm saying to you this morning and she said all her adult life she had been practicing burying her children she was so afraid of something happening to them that she decided the best way to prepare in the event of a tragedy that would take the life of her children or grandchildren was to practice in her imagination going through the motions of getting the emergency phone call, going to the hospital, identifying the bodies, picking out the coffin in great detail, step by step, going to the funeral and putting the coffin in the ground. She did this in her imagination every day of her life. God does not give you grace for imaginary suffering. Okay? So that's really extreme. Yes, it is extreme. But it's an extreme version of something that goes on on a lesser degree in the minds of many of us secretly and privately. And we're too afraid to tell anybody. I mean, you're not going to walk up and even to your best friend, and say, you know, I have this little thing I think about every day. It just goes through my head. No, we don't do that. But the effects of these things that go through our heads diminish us and, and, and disintegrate us and hurt us. They also, in some ways, are forms of demonic faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. You see the unseen with the eye of your faith. So when you turn your imagination toward the de destructive, the, the, the evil, the, the death dealing, the disease dealing, the hopeless, the fearful, when your imagination is turned in that direction, 
your body is suffering the disintegrating effects of that focus just the same way that living in faith and trusting God and seeing the unseen holy real strengthens you and settles you and builds you up and gives you the power to move forward in the fulfillment of that righteous vision. Do you see that? So the enemy is always going after your imagination. That's why Paul says, we're all, we're all familiar with these verses. We just don't obey them. We read them. We just don't obey them. Whatsoever things are true. Whatsoever things are good. Whatsoever things are lovely. Whatsoever things are pure. If they have any virtue in them, that's power for good. That's what virtue is, power for good. If there be any virtue, if it is at all praiseworthy, think on these things. I've prayed with people before who felt if they didn't remember every bad thing that ever happened to them, they were being disloyal to the people that were involved in that bad thing. They, they feel like, for instance, uh, a loved one was killed in a car wreck that they have to revisit that in their mind over and over as if that's the only way to be loyal to the death of their loved one. Like they've got to suffer in order to manifest their love. All kinds of strange behaviors that otherwise faithful Christians practice. Now, I've already mentioned the pornographic. That's become such a, a, a problem in our culture that it almost would take or does take a, a completely separate uh, message to deal with it. But you understand that's part of it too. Sometimes images that get into our minds from just something as innocent as changing channels and things that can jump into your mind from, from uh, uh, commercials now have become a source of trouble for, for Christians. How do, how do we deal with all this? Um, the imagination is the window into the invisible real. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 4, uh, the outer man is perishing, but the inward man is being renewed day by day while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are unseen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Hebrews chapter 11 says, Moses endured by seeing him who is invisible. How do you see him who is invisible? Hebrews chapter 11 says, Moses endured the wickedness of Egypt by seeing him who is invisible. So, Looking at the invisible real, David says in Psalm 16, I've set the Lord always before me, therefore I shall not be moved. How did he set the Lord always before him? Paul says to Timothy, stir up the gifts of the Spirit which were imparted to you by the laying on of my hands. And he says, see yourself doing these things. See, let your imagination move in the direction of doing these things. Now, sadly, about the middle of the 1980s, there was a big movement among Christians in reaction to the New Age movement. How many of you remember the new, what was called the New Age movement? It, it, it's not new. It's about 8,000 years old. It's as old as Lucifer. And the New Age movement is simply old occultism wrapped up in new packaging and sold to ignorant Westerners. And so Christians begin to be on the alert for everything that looked like it might be New Age. And one of the practices among New Agers was meditation. And meditation, of course, included for them imagination. And so it got to be very popular in the 80s for uh, witch hunters among, the, among us. You know, there's always witch hunters. You know, their, their job in the body of Christ is to burn you at the stake if you disagree with them. And so the, the witch hunters, they begin to put out all kind of books. Uh, one was called The Seduction of Christianity. And a friend of mine said that they misprinted the, the title. It should be uh, Reduction, The Reduction of Christianity. Because the whole book just told you all the things you can't do and you better not do. And so since New Agers make reference to using the imagination, Therefore, you must not ever use your imagination. That was pretty much the, the, the concept of the book. 
It's like all, all holes, all ditches are holes in the ground. So therefore, we conclude that all holes in the ground must be ditches. Well, is that logical? All ditches are holes in the ground, so all holes in the ground are ditches. Is that true? No, it's not true. There's a lot of holes in the ground that aren't ditches. And there's lots of use for the imagination that is biblical. But you know what? I was in a conference not far from here several years ago, and a young man came up to me and introduced himself. He was the son of a local evangelical pastor. And he said that one of the strangest conversations I've ever had in my life. He said, my dad found out about your, your conference and he sent me because I've got all kinds of problems. And he was not joking when he said he had all kinds of problems. He was a little rock and roll drug addict, occult practicing sex pervert is what he was. And he was into it up to his ears and he liked it. And uh, he had chosen all kinds of darkness and embraced it. And uh, his, he finally reached a point where his mental health was deteriorating and he was having hallucinations and he was ending up in jail and about to go to a mental institution. So his father sent him to us. But this, this is what, this is almost funny. His father said, now, I got to tell you, son, these people are kind of new age. So you need to be on your, be on your guard. I just, I just told you he was in the occult. He was into all kind of sexual sin. He was in all kind of demonic stuff. But his dad's telling him to look out for our new age practices. Because our new age practices were, I said to this kid, I said, look, I can help you if you want to repent, if you want to turn your heart to God, if you want to repent of your idolatry, I can help you. But if you think for one minute I'm going to stand here and have a conversation with you about new age you might just need to reconsider wasting my time. Just go away. When you're serious about following Jesus, come back. I'll help you. Because I said, you know, it takes a lot of energy to pray for people. And I'm not going to waste my time praying for you if your attitude is in opposition to what I'm saying. I said, I don't, really, I don't want to have a theological discussion with somebody who's practicing idolatry. Does that sound commonsensical? Well, you know, it, it upset him so bad, he stayed for the whole conference. <clears throat> and, and he got help, and he got delivered from several evil spirits, and then uh, we took him through prayer for the cleansing of his imagination. And as we were praying for him to be cleansed in his imagination from the things he'd been willfully focusing at, uh, several evil spirits that were attached to his imagination began to come out, and he was delivered and uh, at the end of the week, he was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to pray in the Spirit and began to understand how, move, how to move in the Spirit. And I, I don't know how that might have upset his father. I, don't, I didn't check. But uh, it's, it was really odd because I realized in my conversation with this kid, I was dealing with a religious spirit. The guardian that was protecting all the filthiness in him the, the doorkeeper that was protecting all the uncleanness in him was a religious spirit that could quote scripture and that could argue theology. But it was a demon from hell just as much as the other demons were, see? And so he told me during the conference, he said, any, anytime I try to worship, anytime I try to do what you're saying, because we were leading people in worship just like Lynn does, just like y'all do here. We were leading people in worship leading them into the presence when the invisible, real presence of the holy descended upon us, he began to get real agitated, not because the demons in him were being agitated by the holy, although I'm sure that was happening, but because the religious spirit in him wanted to argue against the charismatic manifestations of the real presence of the Holy Spirit. Is that weird? That's weird. But I run across it a lot more now than I used to. So, having said all that, what's my point this morning? Well, here's it. Here it is. Do you have things in your imagination that torment you? They may be memories, or they may be scenarios that haven't happened yet, if they ever will happen. You know, sometimes these little acronyms that you see 
or kind of cheesy and religious, but every now and then they 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 make sense and they're good. And uh, uh, fear, you know, it seems a little acronym for fear. Uh, uh, false evidence appearing real. Fear is false evidence appearing real. Well, you know that's a that's a pretty good one. That, that's one maybe you, you need to take on board. Uh, I deal more and more now with people who. Uh, read the newspapers and, and listen to the, the, the news, and they've already figured out where the bomb is going to go off, which city it's going to explode in, how many people are going to be killed. You know, uh, uh, they've got all these scenarios going on in their head of the end times. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, I, and I don't know what your particular theology is about the end times, but I can tell you this, any theology of the end of the age that makes you afraid is not from God. Any theology or concept of the end of the age that has you huddled up on a mountaintop somewhere hoping for the rapture because the Antichrist is about to cook and eat you is not from God. Jesus said, occupy till I come. Occupy means do business. It means carry on. And I have no intention <coughs> of being hindered or stopped <coughs> or, or uh, frightened by whatever the devil's doing. So uh, the power of the resurrection, the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the presence of Jesus in us has come not just to save us from our past, but to bring us into the fulfillment of our future. He who has begun a good work in us will bring it to completion. He's able to present us faultless before his throne with exceeding joy. And so uh, anything in your imagination that is in opposition to that needs to be cleansed out. But how do you do it? Well, the first thing, of course, is the Scriptures themselves. The Scriptures have the power to cleanse your mind. Jesus said in John uh, chapter 16, He said, I washed you with the washing of the water of the Word. The Word of God repaints images and pictures in your imagination of what God intends for you, what God's purposes are for you. Uh, let me just mention another common problem that Christians have. There's so many, it's really hard to know what to put in and what to leave out when you only have a morning session like this to cover this very large subject. But how many of us had really unloving fathers? Thankfully, some of you in this room had loving, good affectionate, present fathers. And so you were able to develop in your childhood imagination an image and a picture of what it's like to be loved and protected and guided and lovingly corrected, even if it had to have chastisement connected to it. It was loving chastisement, and it was unto more life, not unto death. For those of you who had that, blessed are you. But many of us didn't have that. Many of us grew up in a, a home where uh, your father was always angry or he was always legalistic or he was always abusive or he was any minute about to blow up. Maybe he didn't blow up but once or twice a year. But when he did, it was enough to ruin the rest of the, the, the time that, with you wondering what, when he's going to blow up the next time. And so this atmosphere of anxiety grew up in you as you grew up in it. And when that happens, it's very hard for you to transfer from that experience to an experience of being and feeling loved by God. And so you read in the scriptures some terrible event like the earth opening up and swallowing Korah. And that just seems to fit exactly what you grew up with. So God becomes your daddy. Not that that's ever true. But in your imagination, God is like your father. Angry, critical, dangerous, unapproachable, unknowable, unloving. So I would, I would never admit that out loud. I know, that's what I'm saying. Christians never tell the truth about what's really going on inside of them. And then we learn to say all the right things and sing all the right songs and put on all the right expressions and up here is totally separate from down here. 
And as long as this is in opposition to this, as long as these two parts of you don't agree, you're in danger of mental illness. The only way you can get healed of this dichotomy is to admit what's going on inside of you and let God's people, if you can't do it on your own, and most of us can't do it on our own, let, let people who know how to pray help you through this because the Holy Spirit will heal that wrong image of God by helping you forgive your father, helping you let go of the memory of what it was like growing up in that atmosphere. And then, the best part, the Holy Spirit begins to energize the Scriptures in a way that you've never experienced before, and you begin to paint right images of God in your mind. A.W. Tozer said, what you believe about God is the most important thing there is about you. What you believe about God is the most important thing there is about you. Because what you believe about God is what you end up being controlled by in your emotions. There, there is no picture without a feeling. There is no feeling without a picture. The pictures you carry in your imagination determine your emotions. So, I don't have any pictures. My imagination is blank. So are your emotions. If your imagination is blank, your emotions are blank. If your imagination is tormented, your emotions are tormented. If your imagination is full of happiness and joy and peace and love, your emotions will be full of joy and peace and love. You can't have one without the other. This is why the enemy makes it his purpose to go after your imagination and to build all these religious fences around it so you don't even know how to protect yourself from the evil and how to feed yourself with the good. So, let me give you, in the five minutes we've got left, the answer to how to deal with all this. I'm going to give you a little exercise that's uh, a little daunting if you're not childlike. And that is this. When I go before the Lord, and I've got something in my imagination that I know that shouldn't be there, I'll just say, Father... I don't want this picture in my head. It's not true. It's not pure. It's not good. It's not lovely. It's not virtuous. It's not of good report. So you don't want it in me. Doesn't matter how factual it is. You know, how many of you know fact and true are not the same thing? You know, gossipers love to gather facts and then they build untrue tales made out of them. So the devil is the he's the greatest gossip there is. He gathers facts, and then he starts putting information in you built on those facts. And you start quoting those facts as evidence that the lie attacking you is true. And that's where your faith is. See, see faith is confidence in God's word and God's character. So when you're operating in anything opposite of faith, you're attacking God's character. You're attacking God's goodness. You're attacking God's... And that's what the devil always wants. He's not so much interested in tormenting you. That's just a sideline extra pleasure for him. What he really wants is for you to dishonor God with fear and unbelief. So I say, Father, this picture in my head, I don't want it. I don't want it. And then I'll do something very silly and childish. I'll just reach up with my fingers and I grab that picture and I pull it out of my head. And I hand it to the Lord. I don't want it. Take this out of my head. Take this out of my head. It's worked for me for 40 years. So that's really, that's really silly. I know. It's kind of like Naaman coming to get healed of leprosy. He expected Elijah to come out and do some great prophetic thing. Elijah didn't even come out to him. He sent his servant and said, tell him to dip seven times in the Jordan River. Now, have you pictured Naaman dipping seven times in the Jordan River? Have you pictured it? Have you used your imagination to actually see what that must have been like? Here's this general, this, this ruler of men, this leader of armies, 
taking off his clothes and going down in the muddy, unattractive Jordan River. And then, one, two, by number three, you think his ego was thoroughly broken? You think by number four, he was beginning to get into it? I don't think so. I think all the way to seven, he was just gritting his teeth with embarrassment as God slayed his arrogant ego and brought a childlike humility that caused him to be able to receive healing. And his wise servant said, you know, basically paraphrasing, you can be, you can be cool and stay sick or you can be humble and childlike and get well. So the first time I ever did this, I felt really stupid, like Naaman. But I was so desperate because of the impurity in my imagination, because of years of being exposed to unclean, evil images, because of years of being exposed to dark and oppressive behaviors, because of growing up in an alcoholic home where there was never any sense of security, so that when it thundered, I thought God was screaming and yelling like my father did. I humbled myself and began to pull these images out until they were out. Then I asked the Holy Spirit to come and set in the holy, the pure, the right. And how did you do that? With scripture and worship. Scripture and worship. Scripture and worship. Another thing that feeds a holy imagination is good, healthy literature. Stories that paint pictures and images of the holy and the good. The Chronicles of Narnia, the Lord of the Rings, and various other stories that vividly portray in the imagination pictures of the holy and the good and the right and the true. Father, I pray that you will begin to cleanse the minds and memories and emotions of your people so that we live with integrity, spirit, soul, and body, and our imagination is a tool of righteousness, not only for us, but for the world around us. We ask in Jesus' name.